Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Pocket Imp Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson. I'm your host for our Tech Talk this week. Later on, contributing editor Cam Bunton will join me to review the Garmin Phoenix 7 Solar Sports Watch, which brings a touch-enabled display and solar charging to the party. I'll also be chatting with the Chief Commercial Officer of cloud gaming platform GameStream, Lionel Adam, who explains how the Xbox Activision buyout could benefit cloud game streaming generally and details his company's new deal with Ubisoft. But first, back to the Xbox acquisition of Activision Blizzard and what it means to the games industry as a whole. Another of our contributing editors and games expert Max Freeman-Mills is here to discuss the extraordinary news and its potential effect on PlayStation owners. So Max, tell us what happened. Well, Microsoft uh, announced with pretty much no notice that it's bought or is in the process of buying Activision Blizzard, uh, which is a pretty huge deal for the gaming sector, it has to be said. Um, And where Microsoft is concerned, you can pretty much call them Xbox in this case because most of their gaming stuff comes under that umbrella. Um, So it means that Xbox is effectively getting some of the biggest franchises in gaming from Call of Duty to Warcraft. Um, What exactly they're planning to do with that is another question, of course, and one that's probably going to take a year or two to answer. I mean, this is is a mind-boggling deal. It's worth 68.7 billion dollars. It's the biggest gaming deal ever made. Um, And of course, Activision Blizzard is the largest third-party publisher, or at least it is it is currently yeah it's the sort of news that kind of leaves your jaw hanging open a little bit um it's it's hard to really estimate what it's going to do to things but as you say i don't think anyone will have seen this coming activision blizzard has been mired in some uh dodgy dealings over the last couple of years they've had some major accusations of malpractice and that's slowly but surely driven their share price down And the presumption is from a lot of people that that's the only reason why Microsoft was really able to contemplate this deal. It's just the price suddenly became attractive. And, you know, we saw it buy Bethesda about a year ago, just less than a year. But this is just it dwarfs that deal. It's almost 10 times the amount of money that's being spent. Um, And, you know, in in Call of Duty alone, Microsoft suddenly is going to own pretty much the best selling series every single year uh, across all consoles. It's it's a huge amount of leverage that it's going to have in terms of players and, and sales. Um, am I right in thinking that um, that this uh, this acquisition probably saves Activision Blizzard, Blizzard as well? Um, do you think it was on the rocks? It's hard to say, isn't it? Certainly the leadership at Activision Blizzard was looking vulnerable. Bobby Kotick in particular has been taking huge amounts of flack over the last six months and kind of widespread expectation that he would be shuffled out the door at some point. Activision more widely, obviously, when you have Call of Duty in your corner, you've basically got a money printer, a billion dollars every year, each year. But yeah, whether it whether it was on the rocks more widely, it's it's I'm not really sure to be honest. It's hard to say. I mean, that's that um, the biggest question that's come from this because of Call of Duty being 
the pivotal game series. I mean, there, there are other game series, Guitar Hero, Warcraft, um, even Candy Crush, because King, the app developer King, is part of the Activision Blizzard portfolio. So there are many, many different titles um, that the Xbox is buying, but Call of Duty is obviously the biggest by a considerable margin. Um, do you think that Xbox is buying it to make it exclusive to Xbox and Windows PC and therefore bring in uh, under its umbrella a massive exclusive that uh, PlayStation fans will lament? Yeah, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar question, isn't it? There are so many different ways to approach what Xbox might do with X, uh, with Call of Duty. And I think a lot of them make sense from different angles. On the one hand, you could very much see once the deal is completed in the fiscal year 2023, as has been indicated, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if, yeah, Xbox turns around and says, if you want to play Call of Duty, get an Xbox or a PC. That's where we are. On the other hand, you could easily see them saying, at least for a few years, because Call of Duty sells huge numbers of units on PlayStation, more than any other platform. You could easily see them saying, okay, Call of Duty is going to be day one on Xbox and PC Game Pass, so you'll get it for no extra cost on our platforms. But if you want to go and spend £70 and play it on PlayStation, for the sake of goodwill and for the sake of maintaining the size of our player base, we're going to let you do that for at least a few years. I mean, the other side of this is, even aside from buying the, the Call of Duty release each year, you've got Warzone on the scene now, which is free to play on pretty much all platforms and is raking in the cash in the form of microtransactions and in-game purchases for skins and, and gun models. So you wonder, does Xbox really want to sort of turn that tap down and just lose the revenue that PlayStation's bringing from that front? And will Activision internally have its own say about things like that? It's really hard to know. It's kind of, it's exciting because, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it, things are approached. But I don't know if we're going to get a firm answer on this in the next few months. Certainly, if you look at the way uh, Xbox handled the Bethesda deal, it it kept its cards pretty close to its chest for at least a couple of months after the deal was announced in terms of would Starfield and would the next Elder Scrolls game be exclusive? We now know that they will be exclusive to Xbox and PC. So, you know, if you're talking about precedence that's a slightly worrying one for playstation owners i think my 10 pence worth is that the, it while um the bethesda must be looked at as as a uh, as some of the track record it also has track record in having games that are cross-platform uh, minecraft being a prime example of a massive title that it bought and kept cross-platform in fact, not only did it keep cross-platform, it made sure it integrated the overall Minecraft experience to every platform so that everybody could play at once. And I see that almost as a war zone analogy mm. so that it um, it can continue war zone in a very similar vein. Um, maybe the maybe the sort of like the the yearly releases will be the ones that it will look at more closely as bringing almost solely in-house. But even then, as you say, that the amount of money it would lose by doing that, because PlayStation is by far and away, it's the the PlayStation audience is the biggest. I can't see Xbox turning around saying we've just spent sixty eight billion on a company and we're willing to take half the amount per year on its biggest game. I think I agree. At least for the next few years, it, it yeah. would be it would be the more surprising outcome. But, you know, the flip side is, and, I, and to be honest, I, I personally sit right on the fence on this, but but the the kind of easy, the easy counter argument is, 
they also didn't spend $70 billion nearly to let Sony take a slice of any of their money from, from Call of Duty. Um, but certainly, I think Warzone as a free-to-play option is a is a is an interesting prospect, as you say, because Minecraft is a good example, and, and Xbox has an interesting track record in recent years of promoting the idea of cross-play, where PlayStation was a bit more reticent to let that work across different platforms. So, in principle, I, I kind of have faith that the the leadership at Xbox wants a healthy kind of landscape where major major uh, fran franchises don't just disappear from platforms. I also think that uh, Xbox is looking way beyond console with this deal. Um, you know, console wars come and go. They, they're always, they're persistent. Every generation, there's always a console war. The players may be different. You know, they would no longer have Sega, for example, as, as part of it. But um, beyond console, the cloud gaming platform, the cloud gaming battle is only just beginning. And Xbox has already taken a, a considerable lead. And it's for me, that it, this is... This is it basically saying, well, we've won this battle already. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. By having the best games on cloud gaming and being able to play them through a simple t smart TV app, it's basically saying you don't even need a console. And that puts PlayStation in a very tricky position. Yeah, and, and immediately Game Pass has been a cracking deal from day one. I think most people agree on that in gaming. But at the same time, if you weren't into some of the franchises on it, there was the sense that after six months, you might find that you would kind of played most of the big games on there and there was quite a lot of mid-range stuff. In the last three months, Xbox has gone from that position to, no, we've got a new flagship critically acclaimed Halo on there. And now we're probably realistically quite quickly going to have potentially every Call of Duty in the back catalogue and every release every year. All of a sudden the economics of a of a gaming deal that was already extremely attractive becomes just a totally different proposition it, it's and once you transition that into the cloud which as you say looks like a pretty clear pathway that microsoft is is laying down <laughs> i think there are probably some people in suits at sony right now having a few crisis meetings about how they're going to navigate around this and i suppose the final question is is it's quite an esoteric one is um is this good for the industry? Is consolidation of this scale good for the games industry? It's a tough one, isn't it? I, I have to say, I think I, I'm not alone in feeling that when, when that news broke, my first gut reaction, alongside just surprise, was, is this allowed? It's that thing of sort of, wow, that's it's on this murder is on, or this acquisition is on such a scale that you, you wonder just kind of immediately, wow, are you allowed to do that? As it happens, it looks like it's likely that they probably will be allowed, obviously. But as you say, that 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 question of do we want all you know, do we want a kind of end game where it feels like there might just end up being one or two or three absolute mega companies um publishing all of the biggest uh titles. I don't know. It it doesn't it doesn't feel too optimistic for me. Having said that, Xbox, it, its track record is good in recent years in terms of the independence it gives to developers and in terms of the leeway it gives them, where Activision's not been trending that same way prior to this. You know, the, the expectation of massive returns and the focus on microtransactions and sort of revenue overall. It's a, it's a tough gamble, this. <laughs> Whether it's good or bad is, is really, it's a matter of perspective, I think. 
Still to come, we look at the Garmin Phoenix 7 Solar Sports Watch and find out whether it's worth upgrading if you already have an earlier model. So the Phoenix is very much, I mean, it's it's very much a top tier sort of premium brand. It's the all action flagship from Garmin, which is why they released them in so many different models and SKUs with different colours and sizes. Now though, with the continual rise of cloud gaming as a viable alternative to dedicated games hardware, I speak to GameStream, a French company that rivals the likes of Stadia, Amazon's Luna and Nvidia GeForce Now in bringing full AAA games to your TV without the need for a console or PC. It has signed a deal with Ubisoft recently too, for the major publisher to use its technology to ease its players' lives. But what does that amount to? And is GameStream ideally positioned to capitalise on the metaverse when that starts to take root in the future? I'm now joined by Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer for the company, Lionel Adam, who is also happy to expand on the Xbox Activision deal. Lionel, welcome. For those who aren't familiar with GameStream, can you explain what it does and what it offers to gamers? Uh, GameStream is uh, the leading white-label B2B cloud gaming provider and uh, we are providing a complete end-to-end solution for uh, telecommunication service provider, for publishers and for hospitality businesses, meaning that we are providing a complete solution to help our customers to deliver cloud gaming and gaming to their end users. So for the home consumer, um, what part of that would they experience? What would they get out of that? So it's it's kind of, uh, I would say, the Netflix of gaming, basically. Uh, we provide a complete interface where the end user can select a game, uh, they can click and start to play any content in the library. So they get access to a well-some library of content like 100, 150 games. Uh, they can click on any content at any time, wherever they are and whatever the, the, the device they, they want to use, and they will be able to play in a single click. So they, they don't have to install anything. They don't have to download anything. They don't have to bother about the device, the hardware, the installation. They just click and play. Excellent. Um, so uh, you've recently announced a partnership with Ubisoft. How will that... Um, is that for Ubisoft games on the GameStream network? Is it for you supplying uh, the technology to Ubisoft? How does that work and how will, how will that affect players? Yeah, so <clears throat> the, the Ubisoft um, contract is, is that was announced very recently is very specific to uh, the new segment that we have launched in 2021 uh, for the publishers. And this is also very specific in a sense that we are pure technology provider here. We are not going to deliver any kind of service. We are not going to deliver their content on our service. We are providing our technology to their team so they can help uh, to improve uh, the seamless access to their uh, share play experience within their Ubisoft Connect uh, platform. So that's a very specific uh, deal for GameStream. Uh, that's very specific because this is a pure technology deal, also because it's Ubisoft. So that's definitely one of the major publishers in the world. And, and this is a great visibility for us. And that's also very specific because that's that's a real, um, I would say, a brick, a brick of technology of what we can do. Um. Cloud gaming is also quite big in the news very recently, in fact, um, with Xbox purchasing Activision yeah, yeah. To, um, to push its own cloud gaming services. Um, do you think it, uh, deals like that actually will uh, bring cloud gaming much more into the public eye that can also benefit GameStream? 
Definitely, uh, definitely, because uh, I think cloud gaming has been uh, around for for a few years, more than ten years maybe, uh, for the the early adopters. But right now we see, uh, I mean, we are right now in a place where we see the boom. Uh, last year was uh, already a kind of boom uh, year because of the launch of Stadia, the launch of different kind of solution from from Amazon as well, from Luna. Uh, and, and I think that the deal that you are referring to is, is definitely something that will change the game because um, this will give a lot of traction and attract all the users uh, being um, casual users, but not only casual users, also uh, more, more uh, hardcore users uh, will come to cloud gaming because they can find they can find the, 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 the content that they want on these platforms. And, and right now, that was one of the, one of the missing items. I, I mean, a lot of publishers, they were reluctant to go uh, in the cloud to go for streaming for many different reasons. Maybe their existing business model, they want to protect some market shares, but also because because it's, it's a new new way to distribute the content. And you know that everything uh, that is new is, is something that people, they, they, they are reluctant to go and, and they prefer to stay uh, on what they know. And with this deal, everything will change because Microsoft is definitely leading uh, and paving the way for cloud gaming in the futures. And I think there is a big competition between Microsoft and Sony, so they are taking the lead here, but it's going to attract a lot of users to cloud gaming and uh, cloud, gaming, cloud gaming will become definitely the, the, the way uh, people will consume the content, the game content in the future. So it was true for the video, it was true for the audio, now it's, go it's going to become very true for the, the gaming as well. And that's, that's a translation of that. Do you think that, um, again, I mean, I've been following cloud gaming and playing cloud games for many years, like you say, it's mm -hmm. been around for a long time now, mm -hmm. um, but there were always a couple of barriers. The technology was always a barrier and so was latency um, and also broadband was another another barrier. So do you think all those things are starting to um, come together to uh, allow it allow it to be much more advanced, much more playable and uh, and to help? say uh, the average broadband speed smart TVs are more powerful now do you think all the all the um, all the stars are aligning in the same place uh, correct they, they, they are very yeah indeed the stars are aligned I think uh, there is a, a lot of technology barriers have been removed in the like five years with uh, ultra broadband connectivity fiber uh, the most recent cable connectivity, we see the 5G also, uh, which is definitely a great asset when it comes to cloud gaming. Uh, so all this makes that the technology is here and the GPUs as well. And I, I did not mention GPUs, but the GPUs, they have, they have, they have uh, evolved a lot uh, because of other um, industrial um, use cases, mainly the, the, the AI, artificial intelligence, and all those kind of uh, use cases have driven uh, the GPUs to uh, a much better performance approach. And I think all this uh, is now getting at a point where we can deliver at scale. And that that's the key difference be between the solution in the past. We can, we can deliver at scale a cloud gaming solution with an optimized TCO. So the total cost of ownership of those kind of solution is becoming small enough. It's still pretty high, I would say, because the GPU is very, very remains an, an expensive part. But all this makes that you can do a viable, you can make a viable 
platform uh, for cloud gaming at scale right now. And that was not really true in the past. Uh, that's the first thing. And I, I think also there is a transition in the way people um, want to access the content. You know, uh, you, you are referring to barriers that were also true for video, uh, even photo, for example, or audio in the past. Um, the quality is not exactly the same. And it's still true. I mean, if you take the example of the, of the audio with the CD, CD is still better than MP3. But still, uh, the end user like the fact that you can access in an easy way to the content anywhere. Uh, it can be accessible on any kind of platform, any device. And that's the same for gaming. That's what is, that's what is also going to change. That's the way people are looking at gaming uh, as, as an entertainment um, solution as a whole. And I think that's, that's what makes that right now we see this, uh, we are at the time where the stars are aligned because technology is there. That's one aspect of the stars alignment, but also uh, the audience uh, is now uh, more inclined to go for a cloud gaming solution. And I think that in the end, this will drive also a new kind of content that might be more in line uh, with the usage in the cloud. That, that's true today. You have some limitation because you cannot buffer content for gaming as you can do for video and audio. So that's the limitation limitation that we have right now. And I think we need to overcome those limitations in, in the, the next years. Um, there are some technical ways we can do that, but th there is also the adaptation of the content specifically for, for the, the, the cloud and the cloud delivery um, process. And with all that said, can you see a future where there won't be any consoles and there won't be any specific hardware? You still need something to play. I mean, you, you, you need a device. So in the end, you will need, let's say, a smartphone. You need a console. The, the point is not to say that there won't be any device. It's that you can play on your preferred device. So you don't have to uh, select a device based on the content, which was basically, if you look uh, the past 50 years, uh, the, the gaming industry has been built uh, with uh, the coexistence of a specific platform with specific content. Like if you wanted to play those titles, you were more an Xbox player, or if you wanted to play those titles, you were more a, a, a PlayStation player, for example. Now you can have a complete agnostic approach. You can play any content on any platform. So you can have the hardware that you want, the hardware that you prefer. It can be a console because there is still a market for console. They, they, they are, there remains a very interesting, uh, very interesting devices to play games, but not only, also to consume video, to consume uh, music. Uh, so, but, but, but you can select the platform you want, the platform you prefer as the end user platform, and then you play any content. So the content is completely cross devices, completely agnostically distributed, and then the device remains, but it's just that you have one single device to play all your content. You don't need a specific device per content. Um. And finally, um, what do you think of the plans for an all-encompassing metaverse, and will and how will that um, include cloud gaming as part of it? Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's a huge. There is a big big buzz around the metaverse right now. So virtual worlds have, have been there for for a while, and Second Life, for example, was was uh, was there for, uh, for for many years. So. We are at the point because the barriers are, are down, they are removed. Uh, we can we can look at the metaverse 
which in my opinion, I, I believe that it's more the, what is called today the, the web tree or the, the new web that will be the big metaverse. So it will be a way uh, where we will be socialized virtually. And that will be the key. I think that COVID has showed, that, uh, showed us that we needed a place for virtual um, meeting places. Uh, so that's the first point. And, and we are very social in the end, but we like uh, to, to be social with the technology. And that's going to be part of our everyday life in the coming years. And I think that gaming uh, is fully embedded into this idea because the metaverse is kind of how to become a big gaming place. And, and that will drive new usage, new content, new ecosystem as well. So on the short term, there will be probably integration of cloud gaming solution or cloud gaming platform inside the metaverse. But in the end, uh, the metaverse itself might be uh, something that is streamed directly from the cloud uh, to your devices where you don't need a local uh, device, very powerful. Uh, so the same way we'll be able to access the, the content in a very uh, transparent way, in seamless way, but the content will be uh, our, our web experience, more or less. And so we come to our weekly review slot. This time we look at the Garmin Phoenix 7 Solar, one of the myriad of new devices in the Phoenix 7 range. Our own Cam Bunton has been testing it and is here to give us his thoughts. Cam, what's different about the 7 Solar and what about the others in the range? I mean, there's what isn't in the range. There's so many of them. So the easiest way to think of it is they have three sizes, which is S, which is the small one, then the regular one, and then they have X, which is the large one. And what makes the solar version different is it has a solar charging ring around the display. So it gives you a bit more battery life, which is great for people who spend a lot of their summer months outdoors in the mountains. It means you can track your hikes and your activities for longer because the sun is literally refilling your battery as you're doing the activity. Oh, well, so that's that's pretty good. But in terms of size, it's pretty much the same as the others. Yeah, I mean the the solar one is the same as the regular one. So you've got the regular the regular Phoenix Seven, which comes in a sapphire edition and a solar edition, but they're all the same sizes. They just have different price points and different feature sets. Um, so uh, we've only quite it wasn't that long ago that Phoenix Six was uh, was doing great, going great guns. So what's different about the Phoenix Seven? What does it offer? So the the two things that really stuck out for me when I've been using it, because I've I've used the Phoenix 6 for the past 12 months. It's my sort of go-to everyday watch that I use to keep track of my fitness and my running plans. The things that st- stand out for me, the first thing obviously is the touchscreen on the front. You can actually uh, interact with the user interface just swiping and tapping on the screen, which is a brand new feature. Um, because for years, Phoenix was known for its button controls, which are all still there because they're really useful when you're out and about and you don't want to have to fiddle around with a touchscreen. But it's just useful for those sort of daily interactions, checking your notifications and sort of sleep from the night before, just easy things. Uh, But also the other thing that stood out for me was the battery life. It's gone up from two weeks to nearly three weeks on a full charge, just wearing it every day as you would a normal watch. So You don't have to charge it as frequently. And in the summer, of course, like I mentioned with the solar edition, that can go even further. Are there any more sensors on this year's model? 
No, not not really. I mean, there's there's some more features on there. So you've got things like um, for people who do lots of skiing, um, there's the ski view maps, which will give you routes and difficulties for different resorts across the world. So if you're someone who likes to escape and go into the Alps for a few weeks in the winter, you've got the useful information right on your wrist. You can check which are the best routes to go down. Um, but for the most part, a lot of it is the same. One of the big new features... Um, one of the big new features is actually on only on the 7X model, which is the larger model. And they've built this um, LED flashlight into the edge of the watch. So you can have it flashing while you're running at nighttime. And when you're swinging your arm upward, it will flash white. And then when one, it will automatically know when you've swung your arm down and it will change to red. So it's like this indicator light to let people know that you're there as well as, as sort of lighting up the path ahead of you. So where does it fit really in amongst all the other brands? You 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 look at an awful lot of smart and sports watches. Uh, for yeah. So where does it fit amongst all the other brands and uh, rivals on the market today? So the Phoenix is very much. I mean, it's it's very much a top tier sort of premium brand. It's the all action flagship from Garmin, which is why they released them in so many different models and SKUs with different colors and sizes. It's the sort of all-action hero on the market. And in terms of performance and design, it really is. It's the market leader, essentially, for those who want a dedicated smart sports watch, but don't necessarily want all the lifestyle stuff that comes with the Apple Watch or Android watches. And um, I suppose one major question, having used the Garmin 6, the Phoenix 6, um, is would you upgrade? If you had the 6, would you upgrade to the 7? Probably not, if I'm honest. At the moment, it's it's one of those instances where there's there's not a huge difference between them. So, it, I mean, you've already spent perhaps six, seven, eight hundred pounds on the Phoenix 6 or the Phoenix 6 Pro. Um, it, it, I wouldn't say you need to upgrade, but if you've got anything older, then I think you would definitely notice a huge improvement. So, if you don't have that, is this yes. the sports watch to buy? I would say so, yes. If you want a really good, solid sports watch that'll track everything really reliably, then yes, this is definitely the watch to buy at the moment. So that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you found it enjoyable, even illuminating at times. If so, please leave a review on the listening platform of your choice. For now, I've been Rick Henderson, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Toodle pip. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.